Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Extend Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Chris, we are recording remotely this week. I'm about to crack open my Diet Dr. Pepper. Is it uh, Dr. Pepper or, or Diet or Dr. Pepper Zero? Uh, there is no Dr. Pepper Zero. Well, there sure is. There's been some innovations taking place, and I think you need to, you need to be, become abreast well, the latest in diets. I'm, I'm going to shock you with something, which is that I grew up drinking Diet Coke. And so I think that shaped my tastes and or destroyed them, whatever. It's right. Good. So I don't like regular Coke and I actually don't like the zero products because they, they are much sweeter. Like the regular yeah. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I'll tell you what is really good that is hard to find if you can still find it at all is Tab. Tab is amazing. Tab in the pink can that basically is like, yeah, you got to get cancer. Like basically. Tab is so good. I tab, totally agree. Tab is like, you could either start smoking or you could drink tab. What do you want to do? Uh, so how's tab is keto, which leads oh, to yeah, so, how yeah, yeah, keto. Yeah. Well, I had my birthday and I did not. Did break okay. keto? Broke all the uh, tragic uh, series of mistakes were made. So what do you have? I, I every, you're going to cheat on keto. What do you, what do you eat? Well, today it continue, it will continue. Uh, you know, or the cheating, the cheating will continue today because today I will enjoy a McRib with my man children. Today we will, uh, a birthday tradition is to enjoy a McRib and McRibs are important and good. I've never had a McRib. I totally believe that. But I do love McDonald's. It tastes like I would describe it thusly. It tastes like a mild breakfast sausage that was poached in very sweet barbecue sauce. Now you say uh, gross, right? Now you say gross, but. No, no, that sounds really good. When you serve it, it's, you know what? It has the same uh, flavor palette as the little Smokies. When you go to the uh, office Christmas party, they've got the little Smokies floating in the barbecue sauce in the, no, they you're shaking you, that. You had me at breakfast sausage and sweet barbecue sauce. I didn't need like the further. That what, doesn't sound as good. But what makes it what good. What did you cheat on? But I'm telling you about the McRib I'm about to eat. No, but yesterday uh, for your birthday. Well, there were there was cake. There was a baked potato. I, look, I don't want to. I, I I I'm not going to be able to enjoy the McRib if I think about all the wrong. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I got I got to be forward looking. I just okay. to conclude to say that what makes the McRib are the pickles and the onions. Just like the McDonald's cheeseburger, it's the juxtaposition. I totally agree with that, and it's also what makes the Chick Fil A sandwich so good. Pickles. So right, you're so right. Oh, oh. I like acid. You won't be surprised to hear. <laughs> um, I, I like I like sweet and acidic. I like juxtapositional. I I, okay. I I like contrast. So good and fat. Okay, should we do the front page? Let it rip. On our front page, these are the stories that we thought were most important this week. Chris, the first one is kind of a continuation from last week about the DOJ's 
uh, or the the FBI's showing up at James O'Keefe's store of Project Veritas and seizing a bunch of stuff. They then leaked correspondence between O'Keefe and his lawyers to the New York Times. And last week, I was still trying to wrap my head around this, not totally familiarized with the facts, but both Politico and the Washington Post had great reports on what exactly is happening here. Yeah, Eric Wemple did a, a nice, he deconstructed uh, and reconstructed this nicely for the Post. He did. Uh, we'll link that. But Josh Gerstein at Politico, he had a line in his piece that said, this case hinges on whether O'Keefe is afforded the constitutional protections that journalists get. Um, but he didn't elaborate on how do how does one determine whether O'Keefe is a journalist or not, which was the question that that raised for me. And that's something that the Eric Wemple piece answers, which is yes. that it really has nothing to do with what you do day to day. It's any uh, the journalistic protections are applied to anybody who has a plan to disseminate basically right. anything to the public, right. that- um, which was clarifying for me because I'm not a constitutional law scholar. And so. What the FBI or the DOJ need to show it to ma- to have made this justified. Wow, that grammar was terrible. But <laughs> they need to be able to show that O'Keefe, that they had a reasonable suspicion that O'Keefe played a role in stealing the diary. And we have not, that, sorry, this is the diary of Ashley Biden. Right. Uh, Joe Biden's daughter, which is- And they say what, what Veritas said <clears throat> was that it was, they bought it, that someone else stole it. I don't they, think they bought it. They just, yeah, someone I, gave it to them. I, I thought they paid for it. <clears throat> uh, um, In the Wemple thing, it says national file. Okay, national it, file paid for it. Yeah. And then they, let me see here. I want to get it right. But and whatever, <clears throat> however it came into their possession, whether they purchased it or whether it was given to them, because I think what national files position was, was that it had been leaked to them by a dissatisfied employee who said that Project Veritas, Veritas was, right. was squelching this, was trying to suppress the great Ashley Biden story and and that it was secreted to them, whereas Project Veritas says they gave it to them. But it, but whatever the case, the, the, the position, we have to give the benefit of the doubt to Project Veritas, not because they deserve it, because they don't, but we have to give it to them in the same way we'd have to give it to anybody, which is unless the Justice Department and, and the, the clock is ticking, unless the Justice Department can make manifest why this was an appropriate act and what the underlying criminality was, like, the, I'll put it this way, when you're talking about matters of the First Amendment, time is of the essence. You cannot, the Justice Department cannot just say, well, we raided your house and then we'll let everybody know what was going on at some point. I, I'm not saying that they're, it's too late already, but I am saying the clock is running in. And for everyone's sake, they should make a clean breast of this. They should get it all out there. And we don't want the government in the position of making determinations about who's a journalist and who's not. No, and that's exactly that's exactly why the case law says what it says, because it's not the individual, it's the action. And that's got, that's got to be where we have to keep it. Up next, Chris, you flagged the Substack, the CEO of, Sub, of Substack, Chris Best, did an interview with a Substacker. Mike, is Solana how you publish or uh, pronounce his last name? I'll go with that. I'm okay. willing to say that. Mike Solana, who is a private equity guy, uh, partner at Founders Fund, I believe, and has a successful Substack. And 
I did think his comments were really interesting. He basically says, you know, it's unfashionable to be generically in favor of free speech, but the reasons that we have it haven't gone away and that Substack, he doesn't quite say this, but Substack has become a refuge for reporters and writers who uh, can't otherwise find a platform in in the media, but for whom there is an audience willing to pay. Yes. And being a contributing editor at the Dispatch, uh, I can say that there's a, there's a lot of merit in this argument, and I, I I believe there is truth here. I want the the interview came out of an essay that Chris Best had written uh, with Hamish McKenzie, who, the most Scottish name I think possibly ever. Uh, <laughs> is Hamish a Scottish name? Oh yeah, not not really an area of interest. Try me on the Israeli names. Well, then it would be Hamish. Uh, that would be yeah. Hamish versus Hamish. But here's what Chris Best said. My general theory is that we're coming out of an age of attention monster social media. People used to get bored. People used to have this problem of like, I don't know what to do with my time. Then the internet, and especially the mobile internet, took over all of our time and attention. It filled up every crevice in our life. In the first phase of that, the attention suck. It was like this giant land grab. If you were making something that competed for attention space, you wanted to grab as much as possible, as quickly as possible, because there's only so much. You were competing for people's 10 minutes while they were waiting in line at the grocery store or whatever. So publishers made content free, and they made it as broadly compelling as possible. The goal was to grab as much attention as possible in the lowest friction way possible and turn that attention into money through advertising. And his diagnosis diagnosis is 100% correct. And then he goes on to talk about what he sees as Substack's mission and what he sees as what what is going to happen to us now. And really, that's sort of why we're here, right? That's sort of why you and I are here. That's why our listeners are here, because we are in this exciting in-between space as we're figuring out how to do what's next. Yeah. And I think Substack, there's been like an unbundling of media products, which is it used to be that all of these writers and it still is in a little bit, but all these writers assemble under the New York Times masthead. And now there's an unbundling. The most famous of them can go off and have their own business. But I, I do think and I think I read this somewhere that Substack will get into the bundling business of bundling various Substackers. Well, that's what the, together the, the for, what is the dispatch, but a but a but a Substack bundle. Well, no, it would be like the dispatch plus Mike Solana plus, you know, whatever for a price rather than. Yes. I think that, with multiple employees. I, I think I think that would make a lot that to have affinity grouping so that you can bundle and save. And then uh, it's so big that somebody will attack it and it will blow up. And then we'll go do the next thing. Um, <laughs> and right. I, well, then there will be another unbundling and yada, yada. And, and, uh, and I, I very much uh, liked best point of view that we need that we're not going to fix this with. It's not going to be rules that do this, uh, that it's going to be a process of, I'm trying to, I, I'm looking for the the point where he said this, but it is, it is essentially external externalities are not going to fix this. The government's not going to make this better. This is, this is going to have to be sorted by being better. The, the, the players in the market are going to have to get better and they will, because that's what always happens. Well, speaking of the impetus for the Substack model, uh, the Aspen Institute has oh assembled a commission on disinformation oh boy. that put out a big report last week, or maybe it was earlier this week, but most amusing. So then they, they of course, did, a, did an event where all the elites assembled and yada, yada. The members of this commission are themselves 
peddlers of disinformation, just the politically, I don't know, how would you say it? Like the politically favored form of disinformation. So Katie Couric, who is admitted to like selectively editing her interviews to protect Democrats, is a member of this commission, as is a guy named Yoel Roth, who was one of the Twitter executives who helped suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. But I, one of the interesting trends I'm seeing is Democrats, and we'll talk a little bit about this because there's a new partisan Democratic media outlet. I think they've kind of given up on that and they've pivoted to rather than embrace partisan media, we are going to call anything we don't like disinformation. Well, look, I I think that, I think that yes, but on the other hand, the right-wing media calls everything that they don't like censorship or liberal bias. So those are the default settings. But yes, we have seen a, a dramatic rise in this stuff. What's scary though is not that these people are hypocrites because they're human beings and therefore hypocritical, but the, the idea that their very cavalier attitude, uh, and here's uh, Rashad Robinson, who is the head of Color of Change. He described, uh, he's one of the, the committee folk, described the First Amendment as a straw man. Uh, what? And he said that it gets in the way of addressing disinformation and that freedom of expression, quote, doesn't mean we have to live in a society with so much disinformation. Well, Rashad Robinson, it most certainly does. It most absolutely certainly does that if you have free expression, there will be misinformation and lots of it. And there always has been. And from two minutes after Gutenberg ran off the first Bible, somebody was like, I got to get in there and get the word out about vaccines and Bigfoot was like right in there, right running into the press room. It will always be with us. If people are allowed to communicate freely, if people are allowed to express themselves freely, there will be disinformation and misinformation and wrong information. The It is a demand side problem. It exists because people want it. And the idea that Rashad Robinson and Katie Couric and whoever this guy that you mentioned is, that they are going to- Yoel. 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 That uh, that Yoel and Couric and Robinson are going to be able to craft a authority that will be able to determine these things is so preposterous because whatever the authority would be, would be Philip would be filled with what people and people are the worst. I mean, we're the best, but they're the worst. So uh, this, this trend toward the, let me, let me put it this way. Information cannot be commoditized. There is some commodity news. The weather is the commodity news, the scores, the sports scores are commodity news. Those things are Commodity news, it's the same. The temperature and the forecast from the weather, National Weather Service are the same no matter what. But as soon as you get past that, things become subjective very quickly. It gets subjective very, very quickly once you get past the date and time. So the idea that somehow we will, that the, the numbskulls who populate much of the federal bureaucracy are going to be better administrators of these questions than consumers is gross and ridiculous. All speaking of the federal bureaucracy, the free beacon ran an item. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a good one. One America News Network getting behind the radical left wing progressive uh, Biden nominee to the Federal Communications Commission. And we talked about with who we talked about last week about how how extremist a lot of her positions are, and that it's an open question whether she can get 
51 votes in the Senate because there may be some Democrats who when her, she is radical in a way that even some Democrats may shy away from. Well, what's so funny, I think, about this is that One America News is endorsing her nomination because they oh. hope that she will take aim at Fox News. Well, tell me more about this. So the the uh, the Washington and I I like the new look. How how long ago was the redesign at the Free Beacon? Oh, it was maybe six months ago. I guess I didn't really notice it till. But the the light and bright. It's an airier construction. It's 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 a it's nice. Brimming uh, with patriotism. Well, heck yeah. But the uh, so the story says that Brad Blakeman, Fox stalwart, or I don't know whether he still goes on Fox, but for and my friend at Fox and a love a lovely fellow. He has a dinosaur egg that he wait really yeah he has he owns a, a dinosaur egg? owns a dinosaur egg is that the coolest thing yeah that is cool so anyway how did Brett, he get that I I assume by legal means I hope I have just really I hope I hope that the the feds are not about to raid Brad's house for uh a, a prank call prank call prank call so Brad told your reporter you got it from Project Veritas. The egg. Brad told your reporter that he was going on to do a hit on OANN and that the that president, personal, yeah, personally that arranged the president had arranged the hit with the intention of it being pro-so. And uh, now we know that is OANN the one that AT&T funded? Is that right? Yes. Okay. So. I'm sure that there's all kind of friggin' in the riggin', uh, all, you know, people, you know, lobbying against, you know, who News Corp lobbies to do what, to do whatever. But this one seems particularly weird to me that some, I guess, I guess the thinking at OANN would be that if the FCC puts a kind of cable news fairness doctrine in place, that it will hurt Fox uh, more than it will hurt them. I don't know. It all seems pretty stupid, but who knows? And that she will somehow be an impartial advocate for the little guy when it comes to conservative little guys and liberal little guys, which which there's really no indication. Well, maybe they maybe they think maybe they think that if they suck up to her or work in her favor, that she will reward them. Well, I don't know. You know, not counting it out. Would not be the I first love time. When people suck up to me. So speaking of. Speaking of these Fox competitors, Daily Beast reports that Newsmax is eyeing uh, what I would call yesterday's Fox News talent. Um, Whoa! They, is yesterday's well, Fox News. They're not. Talent. I, they're not currently at Fox News, so they're not poaching these people from Fox. Uh, so Newsmax in talks with James Rosen now at Sinclair to go over there, and, and they've hired a whole bunch of other former Fox people. One of the things I've said surprised me, Chris. I didn't realize this before really working in TV, but like these big wigs at the major networks, like you run CBS, you run CNN, you you run News at Fox. They then get tossed out on their arses. Inevitably, these people are asked to step down or they get fired usually. Um, but then they end up consulting for like Newsmax. It's such a, it's like a real step down. Who, who is consulting for Newsmax? Uh, well, Clementi, Michael Clementi, the former head of news at Fox is consulting Oh, he's been for doing Newsmax. that for a while, I guess. Yeah. But um, oh, they hired Christopher Wallace. Not Chris Wallace, but Christopher Wallace, who and, changed. But there are many others, you know, one in particular uh, who I, I don't want to name, but who was a president, ran a major network and consults for, you know, people you've never heard of. 
Well, all I could say is there are a lot of bidders in this market space. And uh, there is... Newsmax, give Chris Steyerwalt a no, ring. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, I mean... Give our resident know. bidder, Chris Steyerwalt. I'm okay. Oh. I, I have I have nice work to do. I, I have never felt more professionally myself, I think, in my whole life. And it's really nice. And thank thank God for the American Enterprise Institute and the dispatch. Uh, and good people in the chat publish it. Don't. I take it back. Do not. No, no. Come. I guess what I'm saying. for Chris Dyerwald a seven figure salary to be your chief political correspondent. Well, but I, I, Definitely I, don't do that. So there's a market space here, and there is uh, there's this rush into it. And you have the uh, next uh, next star has their. Oh, I I appear. I've appeared on it many times uh, with Leland Vitter. They've got Dan Abrams doing his show now, and, uh, and I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of it right now. I'm so sorry. It's uh, called News Something. News Nation. Yes. News Nation. Okay, so they've got News Nation, and there's there's a there's another one that's more web. Uh, it's called Newsy that is coming from the. I believe scripts. So that's newspaper trying to do TV. That's a newspaper trying to do TV. But there's a lot that points to, yes, people trying to suck up to the right wing stuff. But there's also this. There is a push to say, can we be credible and sensible? Because that is the underserved market space. When you looked at- I don't think that's what's like uh, motivating Newsmax in one America. No. But I so well, which, which show, let's say you're talking about. Well, here I do I do mean News Nation and I do mean Newsy. But what I read out of this Daily Beast story on Newsmax is that they're going for some they're they're trying to suppress people like Emerald Robinson and and others who seem flaky and push toward more credible kind of people of experience and those kinds of things because it's not enough just to to put blonde women in sheath dresses and have them shuck eggs at whatever the given target of the day is. I mean, apparently it is enough. Fox is doing great. Well, no, no, but wait a minute. And this is this is the this is the eternal struggle of Fox. The eternal struggle of Fox is you can't have Fox News if there isn't news in it, right? And over time we've watched the share of news go down, but not zero out, right? There are still people at Fox who are continuing to do news and and trying to how do, how do we actually know that if there were no news, uh there it would be a problem? Because I think Roger Roger Ailes, I don't even know what you want to call it, was like putting hot women on TV and having hotter women than the other network. We don't want to be anti hot we don't want to have anti hot bias. Being attract being attractive does not mean that you cannot be honest fair. I'm not like, saying that. I'm just asking about the business effect. <laughs> well, I'm here talking not about the relative attractiveness of the individuals. I'm talking about whether they try to play it down the middle, how fair they try to be, how balanced, how extreme, how partisan. That's the part I mean. And you can't just be all vegetables or you can't just, well, you can't be all vegetables, but neither can you be all desserts because the you will leave yourself with, you'll, you'll kill off your own audience. Well, apparently these folks have never heard of the Washington Free Beacon where, you know, we'd be happy to launch a cable network, I'm sure. I uh, I would love to see. Hard hitting. Speaking of which, and this is going a little out of order here. Well, uh, the Rupert Murdoch's comments have gotten out. Speaking of Fox trying to find itself, uh, Rupert Murdoch's comments at the at the network's annual meeting. It, it was at News Corps. They like made a point of saying that he didn't say this at the Fox News annual meeting. He said it at News Corp. Right. And they like raised, uh, well, go ahead. And then I, I thought the distinction in the article was funny. So of course he dumped on his 
hated his, his nemesis, Facebook and uh, Google and that stuff as the sirens come for me, as the, as the, as the authorities come to take me away. But he's, but here was the, here's the quote that was clearly the one that they wanted to get out, or it seems pretty clear the one they wanted to get out. Quote, finally, the current American political debate is profound. I can't do it justice in an Australian accent. Uh, whether about education or welfare or economic opportunity, it is crucial that conservatives play an active, forceful role in that debate. But it will not happen if President Trump stays focused on the past. The past is the past, and the country is now in a contest to define the future. So that that would count as, in Fox, in Foxdom, a brushback pitch on uh, Trump. Now, the problem, of course, is that Trump will feel obliged to not let somebody who he does, he does not want anybody talking to him like that, but he especially doesn't want somebody richer than him talking to him like that. Well, the part that jumped out at me was in this article, it says he, he didn't say this at the Fox meeting. He said it at the news court meeting and asked whether this view would be uh, conveyed directly to Fox employees. You know, somebody said, no, wouldn't it's like, uh, you know, when the boss speaks, I think that this will get to them. Whether it will have an impact on them is a totally different question since no one's really like driving the bus over there. But I thought it was hilarious. It's like, well, if you said it at this meeting and not that meeting, they're not going to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not we, we, that, that, you know, people, well, maybe, people aren't going to know, like, if they want to make the boss happy, they're not going to be able to intuit how that might be done. But will, but will Maria Bartiromo notice? That's what I want. <laughs> I think that's a that's a no. Like That's a big, to do the next item. Well, just it, no, it's not, it's not even an item. It's just that I'm always complaining about these anonymous sources in books. And so I see this headline that says new book alleges Fox's Maria Bartiromo shouted at Bill Barr about imagined voter fraud. And it's from a Jonathan Carl's new book. And I'm like, oh, here we go. More anonymous sourcing. Nope. You read down. Bill Barr was like, yeah, she was crazy. I can't believe she was screaming at me. Da, 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 da. He said she's lost her damn mind or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he said I she called me up and she was screaming. Barr told Carl on the record. I yelled back at her. She's lost it. He said, <laughs> that should have been my favorite item of the week. Bill Barr, Bill Barr is, uh, he, he's, he is ready to squeeze his bagpipes and doesn't care who hears it. Living out loud. Uh, totally. Um, okay. This was like, this is not my obsession, but I am obsessed with it. Politico has a report out this morning. The headline left wing Midwest media out outlet launching with backing from Dem donor. So Democrats claim to want in on the partisan media game that they allege conservatives are just so dominant and so successful at getting their narratives out in the media that the left needs a counterpart. And they quote somebody at oh, uh, a network. Conservatives have been masterful for the last 40 to 50 years of amplifying and saturating markets throughout the country, said Patty Vasquez, who hosts an hour on weekday evenings on WCPT. A lot of one side of the story. So this is a move toward balance. Yeah, whatever that is, okay. whoever this person is. I just find it so interesting that the, the Politico reporter does name the Beacon here as like, you know, a successful reportorial outlet doing news from a right-leaning perspective. But the reason the Beacon works is that there is talent to staff the Beacon because they feel unwelcome in the mainstream media and all of the liberal talent is 
at the mainstream media. So Democrats, you know, Air America is a good example. They've had a lot of bites at the apple at this. The latest was Courier News, which was basically, you know, oh, yeah. an arm of the Democratic Party, their attempt to do news. But if you go to their websites, like there's just nothing there. There's no talent to staff these things because uh, the talent is at CNN HQ. So the good, the good news for the American left, broadly speaking, is that since the 1950s, since the 1960s, the mainstream media has been markedly left of center. And that is, for the American left, is good. And, and that, that is why the right-wing media looks so different, because it is in reflection of or opposition to, right? A great deal of what goes on, increasingly large portion of what goes on in right-leaning media is directed at other media outlets or directed at, in a punitive way, social media. Like the, the, a lot of that goes on because right-wing media evolved in re response to the fact that the mainstream press ignored in worthwhile, fair, conservative points of view. So I think that's totally true. But wait. what I'm noticing, I mean, what I'm noticing is that as the mainstream goes further left, See, there is, we have to do less bitching about their bias and more actual reporting because, because of their ideological blinders, there's so much more left for the, for well, yeah, on the right. I think, I think there's just so much, uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't want to say there's so much less good reporting because there's a lot of good reporting going on in a lot of places, but I think for interesting and intrepid journalists, there's, there's plenty to go be had. My point is the envy that whether it was Al Franken and Air America or whatever had for talk radio or the envy that they have for Fox News or all that stuff is preposterous when you think about it on how the overall media, like, so if you could, how many credible news outlets are there, nonpartisan news outlets that are right of center, right? It's not a ton, but there are, their counterparts on the left side are everywhere. And so there's that part, but here's the part they don't get. They don't get, here's what Democrats don't get. They don't get the kind of rah-rah coverage that they're going to get from, that that Donald Trump is going to get from Newsmax, right? They're not going to get that because what they get is basically a watered-down, PBS tote bag carrying, mainstream sort of Katie Corrickian thought, right? That's, that's where they are. And the more partisan, sharper, more radical voices, the Ilhan Omar talking about how... <laughs> Talking about how Marjorie Taylor Greene defecates the house. I thought that was so awesome. So great. I also, that the grammatical, like, just, whatever, mwah, totally just jumped out at me. Defecate, yeah. Don't defecate a house. But the, <laughs> the, 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 the right, the, the, there are right wing outlets that will champion Marjorie Taylor Greene and they say how great she is for being so crazy, right? Just, it's wonderful. There are left-wing outlets to do that for Ilhan Omar. There aren't uncritical, slobbery kind of outlets for those folks because that's not what they're going to do with the Atlantic and that's not what they're going to do with Oh, the but there are those left-wing outlets. They're just not in the mainstream. Yeah, they're not popular because the most of the people who are left of center can find plenty to choose from. They're not like, do you, do you remember? You said there, there's no underserved audience for, you know, Democratic. I, I remember when they launched the Washington Times when I was a boy 
or maybe in high school, I don't know. But it was like, wow, can you believe that there's going to be a daily newspaper with a right of like, whoa, holy crocono, because that, that was an experience that right of center America had in the past 30 years that left of center America never, never got. Speaking of partisan media and why there's no need for the Democrats new project, which is going to be called like Heartland America or something, Heartland Signal. I mean, it just doesn't sound like a winner, but uh, okay. I texted you this over the weekend, Chris. I'm reading this this big and good and interesting CNN report on basically Kamala Harris's gripes with her mistreatment at the hands of President Joe Biden. And her aides, this this was true during her campaign, and it's true in her White House tenure. Their their counter argument to everything, almost everything, is well, racism and sexism. Read the quote from the article; it's so good. It's so there's a lot of that coming from her aides. But what jumped out at me is the CNN report stating as fact that implicit racism and sexism have been constant for her to deal with. They're not. Quoting her aides saying, or, or saying her aides believe that this has contributed to her current frustrations or to her current position. The no, Biden administration. You're getting out of that. The Biden administration, obviously, a hotbed of racism and sexism. You well, can they, just tell. You can just allege tell. that. I know it, they say it, they're going to bat for Pete Buttigieg, but they're not for Kamala, and you know. And uh, it's almost, it's almost, a guy. no, not all, this. No, not he this. Says, whoa, no, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Sis is just, you, you're the, you identify the gender you were born in. No, I believe. And we're, I'm we're, looking it we're up. the two wrong people to be having this discussion. Yeah. I'm I believe, looking it up. I believe sis is you're, you're the, your biological gender and you are attracted to people of the other gender. No, no. It's a person whose gender identity is the same as their sex assigned at birth. So Pete is cis. Never argue with the Yale graduate he, about the definition of gender. He, yeah, because he was biologically assigned to be a male at birth and he his gender identity is okay. male. There, I okay. learned something Good good point, dude. So at, at any rate, the idea, the, one of the tragedies about structural, talking about structural racism and that stuff, which was once upon a time, a way to, talk about racism without accusing people of being racist. Now you can just say, well, there are, there is implicit racism and sexism inside the administration of Joseph R. Biden and is stacked with people of color and women and da, 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 da. And like, you know, they haven't nominated one white federal judge yet. Yeah. It's just, it's, and the fact that these are this story and there's been a, a whole wave of coverage around the Kamala Harris is unhappy uh, stuff. Now, here's the thing. Kamala Harris is uniquely terrible at politics. She is an effulgent awfulness. She has an effulgent awfulness that really her is only made more evident by the fact that she was she got dealt a full house in 2020. She had it all. And the press coverage was like, here it comes. It's Obama again. And the Obama folks were lining up behind her. And everybody. Remember when Obama got in trouble for saying she was attractive? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was awesome. All of the runway lights were like, here come. She's from the largest Democratic state. She's an attractive woman. She is accomplished. Here we go. And she. Not say that. She came out and crashed right into the side of the mountain. She came off the runway. And she did it because of the press. 
every so she got all this uncritical, very fluffy coverage for quite a while. And then as Susan was like, hey, let me ask you about then this. Then people saw her. And then what well, and then she would do what? <laughs> Lunacy laughter. A, a laugh that makes Hillary Clinton sound like a heartwarming, a, a heartwarming from your grandmother. But she this crazy cackle that she responded to the question, the non sequiturs, the the absolute I'll put it this way. Joe Biden is not the only person who incoherently rambles after being asked questions that are challenging. She has, she was a mess. And then Biden had to take her. There was, there, there, by the time Biden was making his vice presidential choice, there was no practical way for her to not take her without it being a huge problem, right? Well, you make a good point about the reporting that the reporting is filled with the lame deflection of Kamala AIDS trying to explain away, trying to find any other explanation but her right, as to why she is not popular. No, And it's totally true. Like, I've had arguments with political professionals about this, but it, they essentially say her AIDS are failing her. She has bad staff. Well, you know, fish rots from the head. Well, and the other, yes, and you know who's the most inclined to say that? Staff people. <laughs> of course. Because here, here's the thing. Good is the, the dispatch has no called the sweep uh, because it's supposed to be that all a staffer can really do is sweep the path in front of the stone for the politician. That there's not much they can do. There is very little. I'll, I'll put it this way. Bad staff work, great staff work can move a terrible candidate into the acceptable range. And really, really bad staff work can take a, a viable candidate and make them unviable. But as you say, who would allow such a staff to be around them? Who would be so uh, oblivious that they would uh, allow these people? I think Kamala Harris has a big problem with her sister, who has been a boat anchor for her for over the years. I think she's just, she's not good at this stuff. Yeah, Deb we're waiting for the, the news article that says she's the problem. She is the you know, problem. Of course. And the question, of course, will be, as the, the and the CNN piece on this and the other reportage on this has alluded to it, but what are we really talking about? We're really talking about the 2024 Democratic primary. That's what we're really talking about. For sure. But For my, sure. But and Chris, you know who else I noticed this about uh, covering 2016 was Scott Walker. Like his staff was awful, 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 awful. And I had arguments with people. Oh, uh, you take things too personally, blah, blah, blah. I was convinced that this reflected his terribly bad judgment and that uh, turned out to be the case. What was his name? Wiley? Uh, Rick Wiley, this was this was even before the campaign. Right. This was his gubernatorial staff was bad. But when he hired the when he hired the zoo crew to run his presidential campaign, and then they just they spent enough money to burn a wet elephant, and just it was. And you thought, if he's good but being misserved by his staff, are they doping him? How is it that he has not caught on to the fact that he is surrounded by charlatans and goofballs? I want to talk about. My favorite, this, this, could, this e easily could have been my obsession, but it's so, it's so slight. It's hilarious, but it's the perfect Washington post. It's another illustration uh, of why we don't need a heartland signal. It's, it's the perfect illustration of the way that the Washington post approaches questions of race in America today. Headline Trump's Bureau of Land Management HQ. It's like a robot wrote this. Uh, a search algorithm optimizing robot. Trump's Bureau of Land Management HQ move reduced black employees created mass vacancies report says. So 
people who do, people who live east of the Mississippi River may not know the incredible, appalling, shocking amount of land that the federal government and this isn't parks, right? This isn't our national parks. Uh, these aren't national monuments. This is just land that the federal government owns. They lease it sometimes. Sometimes they just sit on it. But the Bureau of Land Management is managing lands that are overwhelmingly in the Western United States. So the Trump administration said, well, let's move the headquarters out of Washington so that it's out closer to the lands that it serves, right? Which there's a real good argument for that. I'm not saying you couldn't do it another way, but certainly that is not a some tendentious claim. So they do it. And here, listen to this. The problem is I got to find the Washington, the, the Post's line about how it decimated black workers because they moved the office from Washington, D.C., which is like 45% black to Grand Junction, Colorado, which I assume is not quite as African-American as the District of Columbia. And guess what? A lot of the workers who worked in Washington said, I do not want to move to Grand Junction, Colorado. I want to stay in Washington, D.C., so I will find another job. Okay, fine. Well, there's going to be a shift in what ethnicities of people are going to be available for your workforce in Washington, D.C. or Grand Junction, Colorado. That would just have to be true. It doesn't make it doesn't make the Bureau of Land Management better or worse as long as they're following fair fair hiring practices. It doesn't make them a better Bureau of Land Management just because of the racial composition of its offices. Well, I also love. So, yes, there are fewer black people in Colorado than there are in Washington, D.C. And that is an act of racism in the yeah. according to The Washington Post Beast. It's uh, that's great. Well, uh, the, and quoting uh, Raul. Uh, wow, you really butchered that. Isn't it uh, Grahalva? Grahalva. Grahalva. Sorry, Raul Grahalva. But one of the most alarming statistics that there are only 312 black slash African-American employees nationwide at the agency. Less. By alarming. It's just, it's less than the 3.5% of the BLM workforce, about 9,000 people. And you just think of all of the dumb things. Of all of the dumb things that you could focus on, that this is somehow a racist act. You could say that from a policy perspective, it's dumb. But here's what we know from a lot of research and a lot of study. You know who doesn't like quotas? And you know who doesn't like this kind of scorekeeping? Most Americans, including in, in surveys, a majority of African-Americans. And this kind of bean counting specific quota stuff is is goofy. And the fact that the Washington Post treats this as a scandal is just, you know, come on, grow up. Chef's kiss. Yeah, exactly. Chris, is it time for our obsessions? It is. Thank you. OK. Uh, after the jump here, our obsessions of the week. Where. Chris and I break down the stories that we can't get out of our heads. Chris, you are up first. Well, this I won't dwell on it too much because we we talked around it in terms of the changes that were made, the people are chasing Fox and all this other stuff. But Mark Thompson, who is the CEO of New York Times uh, company from 2012 to 2020, uh, and he used to be the general director of the BBC, was speaking at this event, uh, the uh, Freeview Outside the Box. And he says, he's talking about TV news. And he says, news feels like a particularly old-fashioned style of broadcasting aimed entirely at older audiences. 
I live in the U.S. and TV news seems completely unchanged since the 1980s. I think it is in dead trouble. Now, on the one hand, he's not telling us anything we don't already know. All you have to do is look at the ads on cable news or regular news for that matter, or look at the story coverage and it's old, right? CBS Sunday morning, you can always guarantee each week there will be one. Jane Polly will have one story that is, hey, baby boomer nostalgia. You want to talk about, you know, Paul Simon joins us to drink and ensure and uh, reminisce about how great 1968 was. There's always nostalgia. It's heavily oriented toward, toward older viewers. And we know, for example, you and I both know the curse of the demo. So what is it? 25 to 54 is the, right. the demo. So right. younger viewers are what advertisers want because they have more disposable income. And then, but who watches TV news? Old. Younger viewers, meaning you want to be in that 25 to 20 to 54 demo. You want a good number right. there as opposed to the over 54s. Right. So out of a show on cable news, for example, will a very successful show on cable news will have two and a half or three million viewers, but only 300 or 400,000 of them will be in the quote unquote demo. Right. And for, I know from when I was at Fox, like they have huge numbers, but they really struggle in that demo. And that was always, uh, you know, the, the eyes of execs were always on the performance in that demo. That's right. And I, 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 I certainly take Mark Thompson's point here and he's quite right. But on the other hand, what are you going to do about it? There's really nothing. I, I, I just think that televised news is. He said they need to pivot to, you know, the over the top, like CNN plus, et cetera. And Ashton, yeah. they need to adapt, which I mean, yeah, Fox Nation, a roaring success. It's it's hard if you have no young audience to begin with, I, like I, make the pivot and attract. I, th I think that's some stuff people say. I think what's well, like, well, you ought to do an over the top or you ought to do this or you ought to do whatever. I think what you ought to do. If you're if you're thinking about the dough here, and I think this is really what they are doing, maximize hello, maximizing about the dough, maximize revenue, keep the old viewers addicted and glued to their sets for the latest outrage, for the latest anger, keep them there, and then one day the party will be over, and that's okay, right? Just make the most of it. What uh, get gather ye elderly rosebuds while ye may. You know, one thing I thought was interesting on Fox when I worked there, people. You know, I, obviously, I went to a very liberal college and this was not long after I graduated and people would be like, oh, how does it feel working for an arm of the RNC and, you know, yada, yada, yada. One thing I thought was interesting was how business driven their decisions were. And I remember somebody telling me, well, here at Fox, like we don't cover really international affairs unless there are bombs going off. And there's like a direct link to anything Americans care about. They don't really cover like foreign affairs, foreign policy. They did not cover gay marriage. So this is 10 years ago when that was much more of an issue. Right. And they and then I'm trying to think if there's I may be missing one other one, but they basically said like there's these buckets of issues that our viewers don't want to hear about, aren't interested in, that's right. et cetera. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, our educational system in the United States is an embarrassment is nobody wants to talk about that, right? That's not something that older Americans are, are that they care about. You can't get 65 year olds to take a passionate interest in uh, the schools and those things. So it, it is a, it is a problem, but it's a problem that will resolve itself. My obsession, and I just read this article last night, is a Politico article. We will link it. Foreign policy reporting, the sort Fox probably would not do. In this case, that is a very good thing. The headline is, this experience broke a lot of people inside state amid the Afghanistan withdrawal. 
So I was really interested to read like the inside account of how the State Department dealt with the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. That is not at all what I got in this story. I'm actually going to search how many times. Okay. Mental health. The term mental health is in this article 11 times. And the article is all about how, you know, we're sorry that an entire country collapsed and that we abandoned the people. But more importantly, the news you need to know is that State Department employees are suffering mental health issues from the withdrawal. So I pulled the representative clip, which is, in interviews with Politico, State Department staffers describe having been, quote, manic or suffering, quote, a complete mental breakdown at the time of the evacuation. They spoke of the need for mental health support in its aftermath. One official reported that colleagues continue to meet on occasion for breakfast, quote, just to cry. Another disclosed seeking therapy. More than one State Department official described the Afghanistan withdrawal as having damaged them emotionally. I hey, mean, wait a minute. Yeah. Guys, like they're bearing the lead. Like maybe these people aren't up to the task. Oh, now, look, I I certainly think I, this is a, a highly dubious subject for a quadrillion word piece in Politico. I don't think I don't know that this meets the standard of a news story, but I can certainly see how a person who had given their life to public service, who had given their life to trying to help people around the world to help America by helping people around the world and had gone and done this, what happened in Afghanistan would have been horrifying, right? I, I listened to on, um, Chris, I, I totally agree with you. I'm sure it was horrifying the, but the naval gazing that like the takeaway that these professionals should go to the media with is that the state department didn't have adequate resources, emotional health resources is just galling to me. Well, I, as I say, I think that the, as, as a subject for a news article, it is, uh, specious. And they were able to get 10,000 quotes about the crying breakfast meetings these people had. I, here's, I, I, all I'll say is it would, it does not compare to the suffering of the Afghans. You can't, these things are, it's not a race. I just, my heart is, my heart really is broken for these people because to see your work, to, to watch helplessly as people suffer, people who you were helping to watch them suffer. You know, I'm sure there are people alive today whose experiences at the fall of South Vietnam and whose experiences from 1970, let's say 1973 to 1976 through 1975 still haunt them. I bet there's people who are still haunted by the thought of what happened in South Vietnam after us, I'm, it's a harrowing thing. I just think that what Politico is doing here is they're doing safety culture garbage where it's like, well, what's being done? Why is it more being done to protect these people? I think that is uh, dubious. They, they put in a request to Blinken asking, you know, what are the mental health resources that your department has? Blah, blah, blah. Well, I, you, when, when you sent this to me, the first thing I thought of was the piece about uh, the journalist who felt trauma from January 6th. And this is a different, this is a different thing. I, I totally stipulate that it's a different thing. But in the case of uh, the folks covering the reporters covering it on January 6th, you should thank God that you were there. You got to have, that's what, that's why we got into the business, right? That you wanted a front row seat for history. Well, there is some history, guys. 
Yeah, I'm going to wait for like the Dexter, Dexter Filkins dispatch from, you know, Cobble on his mental health travails. Um, oh, Bobby. Stop. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, Chris, my rant is over, which means it's time for your favorite portion of the week. When you twist my arm and make me say something nice. So you often defeat. But you lead by example. Next year, we're going to have to put in new safeguards. You you lead by example. Well, uh, I folks who have been with us will know that I love obituaries. Obituary writing and reading is one of the great things I tell when I talk to uh, people from outside the United States. I say, if you want to get to know the United States, this is something that uh, a woman I worked with at the Charleston Daily Mail told me, and I really believe it, and I found it to be very true which is if you want to get to know America, read the obituaries. I would also say go to a college football game. But if you want to get to know how great- It's funny you say that. I Covering Rob Portman's 2016 campaign, I went to an Ohio State game and I'm not a football fan. I am not a college football fan, but whoa, I could not, I have never been to anything even like that, remotely like that. It was truly an experience. 72,000 people rocking Mountaineer. It was crazy. And the band, and really it's the marching band that makes it, all that 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 brings it together but when they come out on the field and play appalachian spring and form the state of west virginia and the stadium is rocking you it is a a true american expression but obituaries tell you the stories or used to obituaries used to tell us the story of americans who didn't try to get in the newspaper and you would read these things he served in Korea. He worked at the same place for 35 years. He was a Mason. He did this. He did the other thing. These are his family. And you would get the picture of these people that really make up the community. Because normally we just hear from the turds, right? Normally we just hear about the worst people because they're doing something bad or clamoring for attention. And the obituaries were that thing. And I, my hat is off to Kristen Hare, uh, who wrote a piece for about the need to bring these obituaries back. Uh, and she did an experiment with the Tampa Bay Times to test a couple of theories. She says people will read obituary, whether people will read obituaries in a digital format and that those stories can drive loyalty through digital subscriptions. Like, are, is this a, can this be a good model to bring them back? And they and what they found, and she did a fellowship out of it, that the numbers, that the support is there, that the thesis is true and that there's money to be made and revenues to be made in bringing back real obituaries instead of just paid death notices. And I hope people pay attention because obituaries, if we want to restore local news, obituaries are the most important kind of local news. They connect the community. They bring people back together. So uh, bring back, bring obituaries back from the dead, I say. Uh, I love obituaries. Yeah. All right, Chris, my favorite item of the week is CNBC's interview. Uh, we're recording this Thursday on Thursday morning with John Malone, who is the chairman of Liberty Media, which is architecting a merger between Warner Media and Discovery. Long story short, he is going to be a very influential manager of the CNN newsroom because they are a part of Warner Media. And he's asked about CNN. And let's play that clip. I would like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with and, uh, you know, actually have journalists, which would be unique and refreshing. I, I do believe that, that good journalism could have a, a, a role in this future uh, portfolio that Discovery uh, Time Warner is going to represent. We can end on 
our hats off to John Moore. <laughs> well, here, here, more speaking truth, not to power, speaking truth to his underlings, which we also see too little of this week. And 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 here's to anybody who wants to 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 get the idea of fair and balanced normal news back into the conversation. Here, here. That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a glowing review. Just search for Wretches. 